Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing the media we haven't actually been watching, but that we aspire to someday. And joining us for the discussion is returning guest, Kirsta Christensen. Welcome back, Kirsta. Hello! And producer Andrew is also going to be jumping in on this discussion. Yes. Uh, we're kind of calling this, I guess, our aspirational media special, and it actually is rooted in a quick cast moment when we um, were running short on media to talk about during the pandemic. And Andrew started the listing, all the podcasts that were that, that he was subscribed to. And he labeled some of them as aspirational ones that he hopes to get to someday. And out of that little nugget, we started uh, having a discussion with Kirsta about like this idea of media that we hope to get to someday, but we just haven't actually made time for yet. Um, and, and that's what we're going to kind of explore in an open-ended discussion today. That's going to be, based on our outline, it's going to be about three hours, so buckle up. It's <laughs> <laughs> up when you start to think about what the media is that you think you should be consuming and why, and then also think about why you haven't yet. There's a lot of avenues <laughs> that start to open up before you. <laughs> I... I think we should pilot a new genre of podcast, which is like, you know, the podcast that go episode by episode through some TV show, but we'll go episode by episode, but not watch the TV show. Yes, and just true. every episode, we'll talk about a different reason that we're not watching it. Um, <laughs> and we like, we can, we can jump on so many, you know, trends. We can have it. We can have an episode about every single podcast. I'm, I'm I, really excited about this new. And, uh, and it's just five minutes. It's like, Hey, what, why didn't you watch the latest episode? <laughs> Why, did, why didn't I watch the latest episode? Well, I was watching this that. instead. I was really tired. <laughs> I, I don't have that streaming service. Yeah, like, streaming it's, service. It's just a really brief, what was going on in your life? Why Why didn't you actually watch this new thing? Just imagine how many of these we could do and just say, I never logged into Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> So um, we've got a few, like I said, we, we started to lay out uh, a framework for the discussion. But uh, the, the first one that we thought we'd cover was media we want to consume because we think it's good for us. So like the mm -hmm. aspirational as far as like this would actually maybe inspire me to be a better person. The way that you right. do aspirational grocery shopping and you put it all in the veggie drawer and then two weeks later, <laughs> you remember, I, I did buy that. <laughs> the, the, the salads that have been thrown away. Uh -huh. Yes, exactly. And so um what do you think kind of falls under that that umbrella of the good for us media that we should get to yeah so um so you know classic literature um li literature has obviously been around a lot longer than television and film so there's you know more old stuff um so things like you know like shakespeare and um uh you know or or british classics right they get you know the canon, the canon exactly yeah um i i have recently been working with some friends we we are going to come up with our own um top 100 list in a particular in a particular genre subset and so we've been thinking a lot about the american film institute their top lists and how that has um you know, that has spurred people wanting to watch all of the films that are on a certain list by them. So, you know, th things like, you know, um, 
awesome things that won the Academy Award, things that are on some, you know, retrospective list of really, of really important things. Um, uh, you know, I, I'm, Anyway, with, you know, with TV, I'm not thinking, I mean, th- there's certainly TV shows that are like important and groundbreaking mm-hmm. and, and, you know, you should go back and revisit. Um, so yeah, for, for me, like Shakespeare is a big one. I kind of, I kind of want to be someone who is a lot more familiar with Shakespeare. Um, I, I, or who can, you know, put witty Shakespeare quotes into conversation, but I would have to just watch a lot more Shakespeare in order to be able to do that or make a list of witty things so that I can come up with them. Um, although then if like, if they're obscure enough that I don't know them in the first place, I'm not sure who around me is going to appreciate them. So maybe I yeah, need to so, like. So it's interesting that you like bring up the Shakespeare thing and, and mm-hmm. the way you described it where like, okay, but like, why am I reading it? Oh, it, like I, I want to be able to reference it and everything like that. But like, here's the, I'm going to say like, if you haven't read all of Shakespeare, <laughs> then like nobody you're right nobody's gonna get your references like like because sometimes you're that person in your family or your your peer group Uh it's like i'm pursuing this thing for for betterment because it is Mm -hmm. aspirational like i should read this so that i can understand references to it but like Mm -hmm. but you're gonna like you're gonna be the only person making references to it in your in your day-to-day conversation because things like shakespeare it's like everyone knows about it and like yeah we're supposed to read it and like Mm -hmm. yeah we probably read a couple of them but like you don't read you don't need to read the whole thing. Yeah, this yeah. doesn't come up all that often. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And there's a reason that some of the lesser plays are not, you know, performed as often or not filmed as often. Um you know, for a while I was trying to see if I could find, you know, a really good film adaptation of as many of as many um of as many Shakespeare films as possible just to, you know, to at least go through those. But there are some that haven't even been adapted that widely or it's like a filmed production which is or a, f- a film stage production which is fine but it's a little bit harder to find and it's not quite as immersive um i i have i do get a lot of mileage out of my kenneth brana emma thompson much ado about nothing though so when in doubt i come back to that one. Oh, and, and i think this is in in terms of why some of this stuff we like we kind of aspire to i still remember when i was an english major and i took a shakespeare class and the mm-hmm. it was the professor of the shakespeare class um said like why are you, why are you all taking shakespeare and we ran through a lot of reasons and then at the end she's like i bet some of you're here because it's kind of cool to say i'm taking a class on shakespeare <laughs> <laughs> like, right you right. want to say i i studied shakespeare uh-huh <laughs> and i think yeah with this Sorry. idea of like the classics and the canon that's part of it is mm-hmm kind of i mean there's there's an element of elitism to just say yes i've i've covered the breadth of the canon <laughs> yeah yeah well and um like i i like this kind of nugget of conversation that we've gotten into is like okay but like what does it really mean to have consumed some of these things mm-hmm. especially when like culturally it doesn't matter if and i i wrote this in in like our notes in the in the the document where we were writing down ideas like it honestly doesn't make any difference whether or not you've actually read Moby Dick, you know what it's about, right? Yes. Like you yes. have been inundated with references that were put together by people who also didn't read it, right? Like you, you have seen references in cartoons and in movies <laughs> and in comic books. And like, if you've read bone, you've read references to Moby mm-hmm. Dick. And I don't know if the creator of bone read Moby Dick, or if he's just referencing Moby Dick as a mm-hmm. thing that people reference, like I've read Moby Dick and I do really like it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it's, maybe my favorite of these like aspirational things that I actually consumed. I was like, Oh, actually I like, I personally got a lot more out of it than 
just knowing what it's about. But I know that's mm-hmm. not going to be the case for everybody. But I also know it's like, it does not make any difference. Like, you know, Captain Ahab, you know, yeah. the white whale, you know, it's a revenge story. And, uh, and like, and it's long and drawn out. And it's like, oh, like, don't seek out revenge. <laughs> you know, you, you know, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, like five things about it. And it's like, yeah, that's all you need to know. Like the level that people have experienced Romeo and Juliet because they saw an episode of Hey Arnold. This is like a specific one out of my memory now. Mm-hmm. An episode of Hey Arnold that was about how they were going to put on Romeo and Juliet. I'm like, yeah, that's actually about the amount of knowledge of Romeo and Juliet that I need. <laughs> day to day well and it's interesting because at that point we could even get into like what are the pop culture things that have so um that have so soaked into pop culture that you don't have to have seen them like the godfather i have never seen any of the godfather films but i absolutely get references to the godfather you know there there are a few certain ones of of you know you come here on my daughter's wedding and like the horse and the horse's head in the bed that you yeah um, and the brand of voice right yeah 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 there's, yeah. there's, there's definitely a lot of references that i don't get but also i'm like it doesn't really like damage me. I, I like I never get hear those references like, oh, I think that's a reference to The Godfather. Mm-hmm. I should really watch it. I never think that. Right. Right. Um. Okay. So Godfather's a good example. I think yeah. Moby Dick is a decent example. Mm-hmm. Well, I, th- I think even like like we've already said like Romeo and Juliet. Like uh, how many people actually read Romeo and Juliet when it was assigned in junior high? Probably not everyone who was assigned it, and also not everyone <laughs> was assigned it. But everyone kind of knows Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that's one that gets, um, you know, that's one that gets retold a lot. For a while, I was I was looking at um, Shakespeare retellings in different forms, and Romeo. I mean, if you if you you know if you want to retell King Lear, you have to have a king, and you have to have three daughters, and you have to have some kingdom that's being divided, and certainly that's been done. But with Romeo and Juliet, you need two groups of people who don't like each other. And two people, you know, one person from each of those groups who fall in love. And that is so easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I have seen it with, you know, with in a high school with black students and Latino students. I've seen it in a high school with black students and white students. I've seen it in a picture book with um, cats and dogs, which is really <laughs> cute because that's that's Romeo and Juliet. Highly recommended. Um, uh, uh, don't, don't forget about Nomeo and Juliet. Nomeo and Juliet. Yeah, I've seen it with um, Muslims and Jews. I've seen it with, you know, it's just. I- I so, so, so we'll definitely dig into this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, that's what that's an interesting point. You know, it's it's a lot easier to do something like that than it is to do, you know, or or like Macbeth. I mean, I know there are retellings of Macbeth, but you have this like complicated political structure and you have to have these two kings, you know, this king and then this thane, and then this, you know. Um, it's it's just a lot easier to take to Romeo and Juliet as a as a plot is a lot more adaptable. Um, are there any particular, so, so you mentioned like the Godfather's one that you haven't read, like, are, are there any texts for you that are, f- that fit this good for you in some way that you just haven't gotten around to that you can think of off the top of your head? For me, some of it is like, uh, the Russian literature that, you know, mm-hmm. it's name dropped all the time. I've never really yeah. tried to do. <laughs> you know? And I feel like that mostly just gets name dropped. I don't think anyone's making like deep references mm-hmm. to Anna Karenina right. that yeah. you're not getting. It's like, oh, they just reference the title Anna Karenina or war and peace. Like, well, and, and, I, I, I don't actually know anything about it, so I can't reference it. And even if I did know anything about it, I know no one would get it because nobody else knows anything about it. The, ha- the happy families are all alike. Unhappy families are unhappy in their own way. I think that's Anna. I know that's Tolstoy. I think that's Anna Karenina. So if you've ever heard that referenced. Right. Um, so for me, the, the big, my big shame with this is um, Les Miserables in French uh, because I was a French major and, um, 
and I, but we didn't, we, I never had a class that covered it because you would have had to take covered, you know, spend the entire class on it. And they always wanted to cover a lot of different authors and not just one book by Victor Hugo. Um, well, to borrow but, from Tolstoy, everyone has a shame that is unique to them. Right. Because... Right. Exactly. <laughs> that yeah, one is not on my radar that I haven't <laughs> read it in the original French. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the thing is we, in one of my French literature classes, we did read an excerpt from Hugo and I forget if it was Les Miserables from another book, but it, it's actually not that hard. Like in terms of the language, it's about as difficult as Dickens, you know, this is not, so the language itself is not challenging. Um, there's just a lot of it. And, and there's also, and I have this, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at my bookshelf and I have this beautiful leather bound, you know, critical edition by this famous publisher of Les Miserables and even smells good. I, I take the dust, the clear dust jacket off right now and then smell it. Um, I'm huffing French literature. Um, and, um, <laughs> um, but it's just, I mean, one of the problems for me is that, there's a lot of 19th century vocabulary that I don't know. And so like there was this one chapter when someone's riding in a carriage. I think, I think Valjean is riding in a carriage to pick up Fonte, to pick up Cosette. And like, I just don't know my 19th century carriage terms in French. I don't even know them in English. And so, and I had a point where I was trying to only look up like one word per page or something, because there's kind of a trade-off. Like you don't want to look up every single word you don't know, but then if you don't look up any words, you're not going to learn anything. But yeah, I'm about 300 pages in and I just, and it's been, you know, 15 years at least since I read it and it's just staring at me looking disappointed that that I have not that I've spent hours playing silly games on my phone but I still haven't finished reading Les Miserables well I am looking at you in a very disappointed way as well (laughs) I can tell uh is there any text besides um well the fact that um that the fact that Kirsten mentioned Dickens like I the only Dickens that I've truly consumed is Christmas Carol because mm-hmm. it's I, short. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the, the length of it is intimidating. I, I so, I mean, I'm only going to be selecting English authors in this case. Sorry mm-hmm. um, to, <laughs> to, to, to miss your Hugo. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to read anything in the original French. Um, <laughs> what about Polish? Can you brush up on your Polish? <laughs> um, I, I actually have read the letter. Um, Latarnik, um, which is like the like one of the big Polish ones. I can't remember that much about it. It's the, <laughs> the lighthouse, the lighthouse keeper. If you're interested, uh-huh. but that's mostly a short story. Okay. Um, um, but yeah, so like Dickens, Jane Austen, the Brontes. Like I haven't read them, and like Joseph, our parents are gonna get mad at me for saying this, but like <laughs> I haven't read them. <laughs> you know, like, and sometimes it's like, well. Well, and like some of them, like, I don't feel super guilty about some of these because I'm like, I like, I really don't need to read these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like, I do not think that they're going to add a ton to my life. But then again, I probably thought similarly about Moby Dick before I read it. And it's like, actually, I really like this. Like, I'm this is this one really works for me. Um, And I'm like, so there's also a different thing where like, OK, but like how many of them are you dismissive of to a certain degree? Yes, it's like, I know sure. people talk about it, but like, I'm kind of dismissive of some of them because I'm like, I just. I just don't think it's going to add enough value for the time mm-hmm. that I would be investing and the effort I would be putting in and, and all those kinds of yeah. things. Well, and I think the, why we don't, it, it's some variation of time is a huge part of it. Yeah. <laughs> like there's um, an investment there, particularly for reading novels. Um, and there's definitely things that I've read where it's like, okay, like even after I read it, I'm like, all right, catcher in the rye. I, I get it, but like, I'm not going to reread it. 
and I know some people are. Yeah, or or Huck Finn. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm done now, right? I don't have to do that one again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like you have some of those, and so there's been enough of those experiences where like people talk about this a lot, and it's just not doing anything for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I, I think that's true for a lot of like the the classic stuff. Like you got to be in the right headspace. Um, and sometimes it's just not going to speak to you because of the authorial style or, or yeah. you know, there's so many reasons why it might not. And when you know there's other media that is going to speak to you, you're going to be drawn to that. And there's nothing. Yeah. Wrong and with so that. like it, it makes me suspicious of all the other ones, mm-hmm. you know, like, like not enjoying uh, Huckleberry Finn that much, not enjoying Catcher in the Rye that much. It's like, okay, this makes me pretty skeptical about Dickens. Right. You know, cause like people talk about these in the same breath, you know, these are the same kind of canonized things. Well, and it's interesting too, because for some writers, the original language is a really big thing, but for some writers, it's the story and the characters and for, and for Dickens, you know, maybe aside from a Christmas Carol, which is really, really fantastic and also has been adapted so many times that I think we kind of recognize more excerpts from it. But I, you know, I can't think of like really famous, I mean, you know, there, there's the there's the first line of a tale of two cities but it's but i can't think of anything else from a tale of two cities that i can quote you know and i i don't think dickens is really known for his prose the way um the way maybe some other people are and so you know maybe if you've watched a, a bbc or masterpiece theater adaptation or something um you know maybe you're getting as much from it as you would or or if you just know the general you know the general topic or mm-hmm. or if you know who miss havisham is so that if someone references her you can kind of like nod and get that um but yeah for some of these writers you know reading them in the original is not necessarily um it's not necessarily that great it's more the story than like the original you know the actual original language and and like as you're describing that i like it gets me thinking because like for for dickens like we we have friends podcasters who um who are experts on dickens and everything mm-hmm. I'm like and so some of these things is like i can let them do the work like <laughs> i don't i don't need to read all of these dickens works like there's like you know five or six of them that are really well known and all these things like but there's all these experts who are very passionate about it and mm-hmm. who can do the actual analysis and and kind of like produce something meaningful that I would not produce from reading it, right? Like their analysis is going to be more useful than my consumption of the work. So the fact that you have friends who are really passionate about a particular medium is making you less likely to read it because I mean, I mean honestly, like, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I would not be terribly upset if some people had that attitude towards like the work that, that Joe and Todd, you know, set up with this uh-huh. podcast where they say like, look, like we're going to do some deep reading and some analysis. Like mm-hmm. we know you won't have consumed it, but we're consuming it and we're going to summarize it. And then we're going to talk about it. And then you, and, you get some of that literacy, you know, that cultural literacy without yeah. you know, yeah. putting in the 28 hours to listen to Don Quixote book one. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. And like, I have not consumed every piece of media that has been discussed on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, no, I've consumed a lot of them. I don't know if I'd even say most of them because it's a lot at this point. There's been a lot of episodes. There have um, been. I, I have. <laughs> yeah, like, 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 yeah Joe's actually consumed all of it. And so he's the one who can, can really speak to it. But like I've gained something from just like hearing the conversation and the analysis. And some of them I'm like, oh, this sounds really interesting. I do want to pursue that. And some of it says, I, I say is like, okay, that's about all I needed of it. So – while we're on the topic, can we just pencil me in for Les Miserables in French, like sometime this summer? <laughs> we, we cannot. 
because <laughs> as the host, I try and consume every piece of media <laughs> that we're going to discuss. And that, oh, that in the original point. French is a okay. little bit of a deal breaker for me. However, you, we can play this. You, <laughs> you don't have enough pandemic free time to learn French in the middle of everything? No, no, I don't I think that's, that's going to be, uh, you know... <laughs> Not downloading Duolingo just to be able to read the original Victor Hugo prose. Um, Joseph, what are what are some of the things that you have not consumed well, that you feel like you're supposed uh, to? One that I like has just kind of stood out to me in this discussion when early on Kirsten was mentioning like all the award win, you know, all the Academy mm-hmm. Award winners, um, and. Uh, it's in my lifetime it was in the cultural zeitgeist everyone i knew had seen it but i have never seen titanic and it feels like (laughs) Mm -hmm. because of the the popularity that it had and also it did like it had both the mass appeal and the the critic appeal where like Mm -hmm. it it won all the awards and uh everyone was seeing it it feels like something i should have seen i think the 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 discourse around it has kind of like maybe we overreacted guys Uh, you know a little bit (laughs) um you know in, in the intervening years and as far as like why I haven't watched it at some point, it kind of became like for, for whatever reason. And it's, it's immature and stupid, but like knowing I haven't watched it, I kind of mm-hmm. care about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, well now, now I'm not going to watch it. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that's not a valid reason. I recognize that that <laughs> is just so inane. <laughs> um, and, and that there's no value okay. in that as like a personality trait that but I have never seen Titanic. That's not a personality point. trait. Okay, but at this point, you are a more interesting person for not having seen Titanic than you would be for having seen it. So I think you're actually not wrong. I think that... Like, you, you managed to avoid it throughout the height of its popularity. Right. And And now you don't even have to worry about it because it's not like people are trying to put it on in front of you. And, and like, talking about personality traits, like, I was the movie guy. And, I, like, I was in the film, you know, doing the, the video club. I was the one who was going to go to college and study filmmaking. And... I mean, you, you, you became a, a wedding video guy for 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 money i was editing wedding videos on the side absolutely like i i was known as someone who like cared about filmmaking and this was the biggest movie in history literally (laughs) at the time and i just never went and saw it (laughs) and at a certain point like it just turned where it's like well now i will not Before that, that was that was a bug in your life. Now it's a feature. Now you're going to build your whole life around it. Um, all right, uh, we should probably jump on to the next topic that we had, which is media that we've meant to get to, and, and this isn't because it's you know the 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 cultural cachet, the awards, mm-hmm. the canon. It's just something that oh, I I need to do that, and we have like some internal motivation to do it rather than the mm-hmm. external motivation of being told it's good for us uh but we just haven't done it for whatever reason and um like here you had jotted down i think like you want to read the book before you watch the movie so you don't yes. do either <laughs> exactly. well and, and one that keeps coming up um and, and this is and and this is kind of the second thing that i wrote down so so chicken run has been saved on and i don't, now I don't even remember if it's on netflix or hulu but it's been saved there forever and i really love ardman and i want i you know i want to sit down and watch chicken run but it very, very heavily references The Great Escape. And I've been told, oh, no, if you haven't seen like, like it has so many funny references to it. You will miss all these references if you haven't seen The Great Escape. But I and so I want to watch The Great Escape before I watch Chicken Run. But I don't really want to watch The Great Escape. So I, I never know. watched The Great Escape. I was like 10 when Chicken Run came out. I watched it. I like it, I laughed. 
But did you appreciate it on the deep level that you could have, Andrew? Would your life be that much richer if you had, um, if you had, uh, if you had seen chicken, if you had seen the greatest game? I mean, first? I think this is getting circling back a little bit to something we already talked about. Like, like we want to be able to catch all the references and also make all the references. It's like the T.S. Eliot school of referencing, <laughs> where it's becoming elitist and shutting people out. Who you don't know share all, the references. All the things right. that I where, know. Where, like, I prefer the, you know, the reference is building a common foundation. T.S. Eliot is like, no, no. <laughs> I am closing well, doors to you with my yeah. referentiality. Now, Joseph, you should explain that because not everyone has consumed much T.S. Eliot or read any of the articles that explain why he's being such a jerk. <laughs> yeah. Well, just know, like, if, you, if you're reading, like, uh, a, any version of T.S. Eliot that could have footnotes, it will be footnoted more than any other text because... Mm-hmm. He is so uh, like building an insular audience around himself. Uh, and again, like it's um, kind of a form of elitism where he's trying to say, if you don't get my reference, you don't deserve to know what I'm talking about. Where it's yeah. not like making an allusion to something that's building that common ground that, oh, now we all understand Moby Dick. Like, like you said about Moby Dick. Oh, you know, I referencing Moby Dick. We know this is about obsession. Got that yeah. reference. Uh, T.S. Eliot is like, no, you have not read this obscure Greek philosopher as well as this 19th century (laughs) French philosopher. (laughs) No, I had a high school English teacher who said that basically all the the mythology that she learned was from reading T.S. Eliot footnotes or following up on T.S. Eliot. And so like she only read, you know, she only read things that T.S. Eliot referenced and ended up with this phenomenal knowledge of, of, um, of, of mythology. Um, you know, and, and the obscure ones, not the Hercules. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and and on a and on a kind of more on, on a more pop culture level, um, I saw the community paintball episode, the first paintball episode, before I saw Die Hard. And so at the very end of Die Hard, when I haven't watched Die Hard. Okay. Still enjoy the, the community episode. Just yeah. saying. No, no, no. But I okay. <laughs> Andrew's going to be defending that I, one. I, I know. I'm like constantly like, look, it's okay to watch stuff if you don't get the references, guys. No, 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 I know yes, Kirsten yes. keeps saying it. Yeah. No, no, no. But I'm, I'm just talking about, and maybe that's just me where I really like getting references. And so, um, uh, but but the scene at the very end of um, of the, the Community Paintball episode where, you know, spoiler for a sitcom and spoiler for a, a, a action movie that's been out for decades he has a gun taped to the back of his of his shirt and then he pulls it out and the person doesn't expect it and then that happened in die hard i was like oh that's why they did that in paintball so you know you and and i have like you could even go back on a show like community or like the simpsons that does lots of pop culture references you know you could even go back and if you wanted to give yourself this really great pop culture education by just watching every single movie or or film or reading every book that they reference um, and kind of like a reverse circular version of what you're just discussing, Kirsten. <laughs> in, when, I, when I was uh, in a film class. I have no idea what that means. Uh, I know. This is exciting. Just wait for it. Uh, we watched in uh, the week that we were talking about parody, we watched the film Dick, which is about, um, uh, it's a parody of Nixon. Um, mm-hmm. And the teacher had made a reference that a lot of this is funny and works on its own, but so much of it is funnier if you've seen All the President's Men. Oh, huh which I had not seen at that point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Years later, I finally saw all the president's men and I kept remembering scenes from Dick. And now I've been meaning to go back and watch Dick for the longest time. <laughs> you can appreciate it. <laughs> uh, you know, catch some of the references to all the president's men. Yeah. 
anyway, the question was things we've meant to watch. <laughs> yes. oh. But we just haven't gotten to anything have, else that yes. you guys. Well, and so it, this gets into like some of what we we've talked about with like the references and like not getting it and all those kinds of things. There's also scenarios where it's like, okay, but like the creators probably shouldn't expect the audience to get this reference. Like I'm mm-hmm. remembering like SpongeBob referencing Jaws. Like, <laughs> Nine-year-olds are watching Spongebob all the time. Like, they're not necessarily going to get references to Jaws unless their parents have sat them down and said, like, okay, it's time to watch Jaws. I I will say, kind of what we were saying earlier about something like The Godfather, I think, like, the Jaws music and the idea of that music being a threat. That transcends. At that -hmm. that point, even if you've never seen Jaws, you kind of, I I think it's been referenced in so many cartoons and so many kids shows and so many others, you know, it's just everything around us it maybe has reached somewhat of that level, even if you've never actually seen Jaws. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, but I'm remembering there's like a reference where like someone's dragging like a hook a- along the glass and making the noise like like um, like um Quint does during uh-huh. the meeting. Yeah. And like, I didn't see Jaws until I was in my 20s. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like who's this for? Yeah, it's pretty bloody at times, so I understand that. Like, like, like what kid who's watching SpongeBob is this for? But okay, but with children's media, there's actually a thing where some shows will try to do a dual audience where they will obviously have the story that can be consumed by children, but then they'll also have these references for adults. Mm-hmm. If and adults are watching like Looney Tunes style. Yeah, yeah, Looney Tunes. Well, okay, but okay, but some of their old Looney Tunes was actually That yeah, was for adults. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not for maybe not for children. But um but uh, Sesame Street did this all the time. There were so many funny references, you know, like like they like they have, um, you know, there's like these Cookie Monster parodies of the Hunger Games and stuff. It's like yes, this is this yes. is not for kids. And yeah, and Mad Men, the and and, and Downton <laughs> Abbey, yeah. And so it's just like this funny little thing if you're a kid, but it's this also really funny reference if you're, um, if you're an adult. And along the same lines, you know. Because Andrew keeps being the voice of you don't have to have watched everything. <laughs> it's okay. Um, but you know, I, ideally these these media do work on both levels. You mm-hmm. know, I can appreciate. I, I certainly understood when I watched the paintball episode that it was making fun of action movies in general, even if I hadn't seen all of the iconic action movies that it referenced. So it's kind of working on that level for me. And then for someone who has watched all these movies, um, or like Hot Fuzz is the same way. You know, if you've seen Point Break. Um, that for someone who has seen all these other movies, then they're, you know, then there's a different level where they're getting these references and kind of appreciating it on a separate level. But yeah, ideally they do work on both levels. And obviously you can't, you know, you can't, we can't consume everything before consuming everything. You know, there's a point at which you have to just start, mm-hmm. start watching something or reading something. Uh, for, for that, like Animaniacs is one that I remember as a kid, mm-hmm. like I knew this oh, was man. referencing other things. And now like, I know <clears throat> there's the, the pigeons that are referencing like all these gangster movies, the Godfather and Goodfellow, like things no child should ever see. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and things that I still haven't seen all of these, but now I know that's a Goodfellows reference, even yes. though I've seen Goodfellows, yes. I've seen enough allusions to goodfellas i know when i'm catching a reference to it now mm-hmm. um but those were you know packed into animaniacs left and right um and, and sometimes i think you start when you start to realize that's happening as a kid i think you start to feel um like a little pride in catching the references like oh that was mm-hmm. lord of the rings reference you know that that sort of thing um you know if if that happens and you're starting to feel like you're in on it but like you said, ideally, for particularly for like kids' cartoons, it needs to function as something that just any kid who's watching it would laugh at anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, are there any other things that you've been meaning to get to? Like one for me, I have read issues of The Sandman by Neil Gaiman, but I've not mm-hmm. read all of The Sandman comics by Neil Gaiman. And as someone who has studied like academically comics, like it feels like uh, you're missing a big part of the canon. Yeah, that's <laughs> actually pretty. That's actually pretty surprising to me if yeah. you haven't read Sandman. Um, I've, I've read quite a bit, you know, yes. uh, just in single issues, but I've never like sat and read the entire thing. And that was actually, um, I put this call out on both the Building Genre Discord and our Facebook group. And Sandman was one that came up uh, by a few different people of like, I know I should. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I want, it's not like I don't like it. It's just, yeah. I, I, I haven't gotten around to it. One thing for me, oddly enough, if I don't watch a movie in the theaters, sometimes it takes me a really, really long time to get around to watching it otherwise. And I have, I still have a Netflix DVD plan. So it's not just that it's not available on <laughs> streaming. Like, um, I, you know, and I, and I work at a, I work at an academic library that has a, okay dvd collection i actually live in a county where there's a public library that has an amazing dvd collection you know i have i know the one you're talking about it is a very good collection yes it's famous um um and and yet you know if i don't see something in the theater even if i really want to see it for some reason it just takes me a really long time you know maybe there are other tv shows i want to watch just what i watch at home and what i watch in the theater are very different like um you know last summer or or just a couple months ago i finally saw frozen the first frozen and i hadn't (laughs) you know and i wasn't trying not to watch it i just kind of hadn't got around to it and i barely missed it in the theaters um and so, you know, and at that point, I'm, I'm kind of making fun of myself of like, hey, guys, have you heard this song? Let it go. It's kind of catchy. <laughs> um, so I don't just, know which was more surprising personal revelation that one of your great shames is that you haven't read Les Mis in the original French or that uh-huh. you have a DVD account for Netflix. For Netflix? <laughs> <laughs> How um, is that surprising? Of course uh, I do. <laughs> um. So Joseph, because you mentioned Sandman, it, it got me on the, the thought of comic books, and like it's kind of weird at this point. I have not consumed Watchmen. Mm. Oh wow! Because, yeah, it's like one of those, I, that, like you, I, I, w- I would just assume, knowing you, that you would have. Yeah, but like, like in like in any format, you haven't read it. No, I haven't read it. I, wow, I, and, and I definitely haven't watched the movie. Um, yeah, but like I got into comic books way too young to read Watchmen. <laughs> True. Good point. Good point. And, <laughs> and like, I never got to a point where I was like, boy, I should really read Watchmen and get some of this deconstruction. Mm-hmm. Like, like if you've been a comic book reader for several years, then like you kind of get to a point where it's like, I actually don't need to read Watchmen. Like, I, <laughs> I see what's going on. Like, I get it. And also, um, like, and, you and also, I was reading so comic books that, and I was reading comic books, and I and I started reading comic books after Watchmen came out. Right. So like if I had grown up with comic books and then Watchmen came out. Sure. That's a big impact. Right. Um, Or if I had. But like I grew up in like post Watchmen comic book stuff. Hmm. And so everything was already like post deconstruction. And and that's fascinating. And so what do I need to read Watchmen for? Every every comic book I'm reading is written by somebody who already read Watchmen. And I think when there's. Some of and I haven't things- consumed very much from before Watchmen, so mm-hmm. I'm not like so it's not going to be de- deconstructing anything that, that I read. Most of what you consumed is a response to it. Yeah, yeah. And thinking about why it is like I haven't gotten to some of these. Like Kirsten, you mentioned you hadn't seen it in the theater, and Andrew, I'm guessing like when you were actually maybe at the just the right age to read Watchmen, you might have just not have had the graphic no- access to the graphic novel. Yeah, it would have been like, oh, it's not around, or also like I'm reading other stuff like. 
I can reference Watchmen. I can like reference other stuff. Like I had been writing academic papers in high school about comic books. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't need, I don't need Watchmen for this. (laughs) Um, But I think access is actually kind of an interesting thing for the things that we mean to get to, but we just haven't Um, because on the one hand we have access to just so much more at our fingertips than any generation. Mm -hmm. But sometimes it's not what you're actually looking for. (laughs) You know, the Mm -hmm. the one thing you want to get your hand on, you find out it's like, Oh, it's only available through that one streaming service that I don't have. Uh, Well, and that's, I mean, that's actually a big part of why I do still have a DVD Mm -hmm. service because there was a point when I realized, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff I want to watch that's streaming, but I don't want, the streaming companies to make that decision for me, mm-hmm. you know, because there are some things I want to watch that are maybe never going to come on streaming. And I don't want, you know, I want to make that choice myself or be able to watch it, you know, when I want to watch it. Um, and, and that's something that I've kind of tried to be a little bit more, or, or the fact that there's so much on streaming that I don't tend to watch my own DVD collection and I don't have a very large DVD collection. So like what I own is really only stuff that I really, really love. And yet there was a point I realized like I just wasn't watching it anymore and I probably should rewatch the things that I loved enough to think that I would want to rewatch mm-hmm. them. Um, so. No, I've, I've recently kind of had the same thought where it's like, oh, I really want to watch that movie. It's not streaming. And then I was like, I don't have the DVD hooked up in here. <laughs> I know, I know, yes. <laughs> you know, the DVD player's in the other room, and uh, exactly. <laughs> do I want to go? And so I've, I've been, like, trying to make the conscious decision to go and revisit some of those uh-huh. uh, films that, like, I enjoyed enough that I own on DVD. Or also, yeah. like, the, it's kind of weird, like, the version that I want to watch. So I've been watching The Lord of the Rings for the first time with my kids, um, uh-huh. and I'm like, well they're going to get the extended version. And then I realized like, Oh, if, if you're doing it through streaming, it's not the extended. Yeah. Version. It's, it's theatrical <laughs> version. So and, I don't watch it on streaming. Yeah. And, and so it's like, we're breaking out the DVDs kids. <laughs> like, like, Why do you need two DVDs? Dad, just wait, <laughs> just, just wait. Uh, and, and so, uh, yeah, sometimes it's like, well, the thing I want, I need to find in the, in the right format. Um, and then also, um, w- when we were just talking about this, like the things we want to get to, I looked over and I saw, I have this, omnibus reprint of walt simonson's run on thor which is one of the like famous like singular like auteur versions of comics of a long run of a single creator in this case he was the writer and an artist for a very long run on a single comic book um and i got this omnibus and it is i can't remember how many issues i have to look at but it's it's 1200 pages of comic books that walt simonson did on thor and i have started it twice and loved everything I've read. And then just for whatever reason, like I kind of lose track and, you know, other reading takes priority because I've got a podcast about it or because I'm going to be teaching it or, you know, whatever it may be. And then like, I've come back, I'm like, "Mm, you know, I probably should just go back to the beginning. (laughs) (laughs) And then, (laughs) and and so I I have a bookmark that's uh, right now, like uh, 312 pages in (laughs) to this. And I'm like, oh, it's been months since I last read. (laughs) Months and months. And it's like, I need to go back and get to that. But it's, I and I have it right here. It's not an issue of access. It's just there's so much that you kind of lose track of the things that you want to read. <laughs> I, th- I think that's about as long as my edition of Lame as Rob is. So it's very similar. <laughs> well, I'm also reading a Sanderson <laughs> book right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will get to that. <laughs> yes, that one is going to come up actually in several listener comments. Brandon Sanderson <laughs> came up as someone I, I want to get to, but it's a little intimidating to try and break in. <laughs> Well, and I mean, should we just go ahead and talk about Brandon Sanderson? Sure. Um, yeah, I feel like get in there. the like the the fact that he has such a large quantity, like it amplifies the significance 
of him as as an author to like fantasy readers, mm-hmm. right? Like I I really should read some Sanderson. I don't think anyone's going in and saying I should really read all of Brandon Sanderson. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are like, I like fantasy. I should read some of this guy who's written like fifty fantasy yeah stories. Well, yeah, I mean it's not that it's it's. It, the output of like total number of books isn't that high. It's just each book that he puts out feels like four other books in a fantasy series mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, at least in his core, uh, what is it? Stormlight archives. Is that the name of yeah. the series itself? Um, I think each one is at least 1200 pages, right? Is, is that right? So I, um, fun peek behind the scenes. Uh, yesterday I cataloged four copies of rhythm of war. Um, there are a total of 27 holds on them. So that's about seven holds deep. And yeah, I think it was either 1200 or 1400 pages. I forget. Um, I, I assume those are some of the Brandon Sanders that that's a Brandon Sanderson book just based on context. I don't yeah, actually know the yes, titles of the books. Yes. So that is the latest in the Stormlight Archive. Okay. Which a uh, little spoiler for listeners. The one reason I'm reading the first book of the series is it's a future uh, podcast episode uh, that's going to be coming out fairly soon. So I, I feel like I'm almost done with it because I've been in the last quarter of the book for the last two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> when I get my 15, 20 minutes of reading before I'm falling asleep in bed. Uh, but it turns out I still have uh, 197 pages to go yeah. <laughs> before I'm going to finish this. And, but, it, but when I hold up the book, it's like, ooh, I'm in the downhill slope. This is all denouement. No, no, it's not. <laughs> no, one of my one of my coworkers saw me carrying around this, you know, foot high stack of four books uh, by Brandon Sanderson, and was like, and she said that she had it checked out from her local public library, but their checkout times are really short because so many people have it on hold, and she can't finish it on hold, you know, from that library, and she's trying to decide if she wants to start it from the public library and then get on the wait list for our library. Um, so yeah, you just kind of got to like work the library system and <laughs> and. Uh, figure it all out but, but i think this um there, there's a lot of things that fit into this mold of of i know it's good like enough people recommend it whose opinions i respect that i know it's good or it's got enough praise or it's popular enough that i know it's good but there's an intimidation factor of finally engaging with it so so several listeners either on facebook or on discord had mentioned some version of that kind of intimidation to enter a text that just feels so big so for example listener jesse had said i've never seen any star trek of any version but i feel like i should because it's a major part of american culture uh i just don't want to take the time (laughs) and also i'm not very interested in science fiction and -hmm. i think that's completely valid to like know you know you have some awareness of something that's out there but for whatever reason it's a little intimidating to try and get into it yeah. And in fact, she finished her comment by saying, when people tell me to watch something like Star Trek or Buffy, I just feel intimidated um, <laughs> uh, by that. Um, another one, listener Kaylee says, Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time series is seems like a must read for a fantasy lover. And it always comes up as beloved. But I'm daunted by the size of the series. And so I, I never die in. And that's one that if I hadn't done a podcast episode on the first book in the series, I wouldn't have read the first book in the series. <laughs> for the exact I've, same I've heard people talk the, feel, talk the same way about the Marvel films, especially when we were kind of, you know, halfway into the, into the, whatever the first phase was that there were just so many of them and feeling like they couldn't see some of the later ones because they weren't caught up on the earlier ones. Um, or just, you know, or, or just, or people who don't watch films in the theater very often, people who don't, you know, maybe don't watch that many movies at all, just feeling like there, there's, you know, there, 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 there are 12 films already you're supposed to see and you're just giving up on it because, yeah, because it just feels like too much. Yeah. Um, another one that uh, Benny mentioned is uh, a series called The Book of Malazan, which I'm not super familiar with, but 
he he mentioned that it's something that uh has been suggested many times and it's literally like he has copies of it on his bookshelf but it's also how many books are in the series <laughs> makes it mm-hmm. hard to go and want to pick up that very first one um and, and so yeah i think that idea of like the intimidation particularly if you are like a completist where mm-hmm. like if i start a series i'm probably gonna want to watch every episode of that series yeah. how many episodes does this really have <laughs> you know it can can be something that that is off-putting uh you know before you really dive in mm-hmm. um let's see um i i'm seeing one other comment from jay of some things that kind of fit in there uh breaking bad mad men sandman uh god of war wheel of time song of Fi- ice and fire um walking dead um he says they're all things he's tried to get into and he knows how impactful they are uh, but they're not quite landing for him and you don't want to make the time investment <laughs> to keep pushing through when there's so much that, you know, for everyone that, you know, can kind of be something that, you know, does land. Um, so, mm-hmm. it, and I, again, like it, it can be so intimidating when it's, you know, a seven season series or a 12 book <laughs> book series mm-hmm. uh, to, to try and, and even find out if it is right for you. Yeah. And, and especially I, you know, I think about, um, Parks and Rec is kind of an interesting example, you know, where it's a sitcom and so not quite as daunting, but famously the first season is, everyone agrees that it's the weakest, you know, the, the tone and the writing changed quite a bit between the first and second season. And then even, you know, the second season, the third season, there was another bit kind of a quality bump. And so there are a lot of people, and I was one of them for a long time. People kept saying, Oh, you need to watch Parks and Rec and, you know, came onto Netflix or whatever. And I was just like, I don't like these people. And, and I had a similar experience. I'm yeah. Fort- right fortunately, I've never had to rewatch the first season after that first time. Right. And it's like six episodes long, even if you do go through it. Yes, yes. And I think maybe someone even finally said like, oh, yeah, the first season doesn't isn't as good. Or maybe I finally like gave it, you know, got into the second season and was like, oh, this is a lot better. Um, but yeah, if something is a little bit shaky when it starts out, or I've, I've heard people say the same thing about the Discworld books, that The Color of Magic, which is, you know, the first book, is not as strong or doesn't quite have the same voice as the later ones. And I agree with that. Um so yeah, for some things, if you start with the first one, you might not ever go past them because it's not, it hasn't quite hit its stride yet. Mm-hmm. And, and if it's a series that like you're there on the ground floor day one, I think you're, you're, and you're like, you see the promise and you're willing to give it a little more time and then it gets good. Like that is something that's really mm-hmm. exciting. But sure. for me, like Parks and Rec, I wasn't there day one. And I think it was three times I tried to start the series just because I was told so, so often it was so good. Yes. And I yes. was always starting over at, episode one and it's right. like this is right. good <laughs> and you know and there are some i mean there are some plot things that get set up in a, in this in the first season you know the, it's good to know at least what happens in the first season but um but yeah it's not you know the characters are unrecognizable they're even things you know they're even plot points that are that are contradicted later on um yeah it's just not even at all representative of the later show mm-hmm. And, and I think I finally just jumped to season two <laughs> and, and then I'm like, Oh, I, I understand now. Yes. <laughs> um, so, so oh, having people recommend something a lot, um, I think that kind of leads us into, into maybe another, another larger point that we have, you know, how much does it matter to be part of the conversation? How much does it matter um, to be talking about the show that everyone's talking about, you know, because, because if we're reading, you know, 
Andrew's not reading Moby Dick because everyone's talking about Moby Dick this summer. Um, and so how much does it matter? You know, how much do you want to stay on top of those shows that everyone else is watching or those books that everyone else is reading or um, just because they're part of the kind of the pop culture moment? Yeah. And uh, again, the part of this can circle back to that idea of access. So like a lot of HBO shows become part of the cultural conversation. We're not paying for HBO right now. Mm-hmm. So like I, that's one reason why I never did any Game of Thrones. Uh, turns out a lot of people wish they had it. <laughs> At the end, like, oh. yeah. So after seven years of it, you you come out on top. <laughs> yes, oh exactly. my gosh. But, but there was so much of the entertainment discussion was around it that I kind of knew what was going on, even though right. I, was, I wasn't watching it. And um, there's definitely like different versions of that that I have fully engaged in. So like I... I watch every episode of the Mandalorian, you know, the week that it gets released on Disney plus. And I saw every Marvel film pretty much when it was coming out, you know, pretty, pretty mm-hmm. close to its release date. Um, and part of that is I knew that's something I wanted to see. So I, I and I, you know, I, I visit new sites and I didn't want to be spoiled. Yes. <laughs> so, so there was, or, or I knew people would want to talk to me about those things. Uh, mm-hmm. So I felt like a need to be right on top of it. Whereas with, something like game of thrones like i i didn't so uh, it didn't bother me as yeah. much when i was hearing the spoilers or anything like yeah. that so there's i think different levels that can happen there um in terms of like the need to be culturally literate and be aware mm-hmm. of it sometimes i do that just through listening to a particular podcast that they're going to touch on at least enough that i know what's going on or seeing mm-hmm. enough articles uh to know that oh there was a really you know big thing that happened at the red wedding in in game yeah. of thrones um and- so i pick up on that the just the fact that you're mentioning um, podcasts reminds me of the thing that like being engaged broadly sometimes compensates from not having a depth in that particular area. Like with Game of Thrones, right? You can be hearing it referenced in like three or four things, mm-hmm. and that's going to be pretty comprehensive for for your general needs. And you know that's going to be okay in a lot of situations. I'm specifically thinking of um and and, and like those hosts aren't going to be engaged in everything that you're aware of. Right. Right. Like, so they are, you know, by a few connection points, taking care of all your needs, even though um, that podcast is not going to cover all of your needs by itself. And so I'm thinking of like the, the watch, which is a ringer podcast um, that I listen to. And I, I like, that keeps me informed about a lot of pop culture things that I'm not necessarily engaged in like, like HBO stuff. I'm like, I, I don't have a subscription, so I'm not watching any of those things. Um, but one of those hosts um, is like pretty thoroughly like, I don't watch cartoons. Like, I don't know. <laughs> and so he doesn't have anything to offer in that region, mm-hmm. you know, but he has he has something to offer in, in other areas, yeah. which I think gets into a, a, a separate conversation we could have about like genres and mediums that you you don't engage with. Um, but like if it, if it if you need like a little hit of what's current with Game of Thrones that's a good podcast. It is not going to tell you much about the most recent Disney film that came out. (laughs) And so you need kind of a, a a variety of resources to maintain your cultural balance. And I think one thing that is interesting about this idea is like I said, like I I feel like I'm pretty up to date on what is happening in a lot of those HBO shows, just because of what I read and what I hear referenced on podcasts, even though I'm not watching them. If I was planning to watch them, I would avoid <laughs> so many of those things because of the fear of spoilers. Uh, but because I'm not, I'm fine getting some of that cultural literacy by proxy, you know, kind of uh, sparks notes version of pop culture. <laughs> it's interesting because 
I used to be I used to be very dismissive of people who I felt like watched things or read things only because everyone else was watching them or reading them because I sort of felt like, you know, you should watch something because you should you should consume something because it's good, not just because it's popular, especially because how many things are popular and then they kind of like pass their cultural moment. And, you know, and I also like having grown up with um, with a lot of like PBS and Masterpiece Theater, you know, where where we're always watching these adaptations of these classic literature that's 200 years old or whatever. But I've, I've come around more to, you know, first of all, if you like having conversations about culture and media, well, then you do at least need to know at least one person that you can have that conversation with, you know, and, and, and if you, if you just read Pride and Prejudice for the first time, you could probably find someone else to talk about Pride and Prejudice with. But if you're trying to decide between two different, you know, between reading two different books or something, and you know, one everyone's talking about, and you're going to get to have a lot of really fun conversations about it. Um, there's a lot of value to that. Um, and, and just, you know, it, as kind of an interesting personal anecdote, I had a um, I had a student employee a few years ago, um, and it was the first time I'd hired a student. And so, you know, I was having this working relationship where he's working with for me part time, doing some work for me. And and um, early into our working relationship, it turned out that we were both watching The Flash on the CW um, and watching it in that like I had just barely caught up with the first season, and then the second season was airing. And so, like, I think it like. I think it aired on Tuesday and then you could watch it streaming on Wednesday and neither of us had TV. So we're just watching it streaming. And so Thursdays he would come into work and we would basically just talk about the flash the whole time. And that season, especially there's like a big, there's a big revealer. There's a big mystery the whole time. So we're speculating about all this different stuff. And it, um, you know, we were on the one hand kind of wasting time, you know, discussing this TV show, but it actually improved our working relationship um, because we had this thing in common you know, that wasn't just like supervisor and employee and faculty member and undergrad, you know, and, and it, and it felt like we were going through, we had this shared experience where we were going through this thing together. Um, and it really kind of sold me on, on media as a way of making a connection with people that you might have a hard time making connection with otherwise, you know, if you, if you have like a, an in-law or something that you don't know very well, but you both watch the same reality show or something, you know, maybe you can make that connection in a way um, that, that, you know, in, in that, in that particular way that it might be a lot harder to make that connection through another, you know, through, through other kinds of means, but because you're sharing this experience, suddenly you have something in common. Yeah, and uh, when it comes to um, like that that kind of like cultural zeitgeist, um, like sometimes you want to be a participant in that, and it's going to change both your relationship with those people that you're having the conversations with, but also your relationship with the media itself. Like I, mm-hmm. I still really like Lost, and part of it is I love talking with people at grad school about mm-hmm. Lost because we were all watching Lost, we were all fascinated by the mysteries, we loved talking about the illusions that it was making, you know, all the all these things. Um, and my relationship with Lost is rooted in that experience that someone who's binging it now is just not going to have. And Lost is a fantastic example because I didn't watch Lost when it came out because I figured like, you know, and and personally, I am also kind of a slow consumer of media. I've realized I tend to want to, I like rewatching things more than I like watching new things. So it's hard to get around to new things. I don't really binge. And so with shows like Lost, I always kind of assumed like, well, I'll catch up on it when it's done. And then, you know, some people were disappointed by the ending. And then, like, the moment was just gone. And I've never gone back to watch it because it kind of feels like, you know, even if there are individual episodes that might hold up, 
some of the disappointment with the ending, which, you know, you can all say that about Game of Thrones. Right. Um, it's just like, it's just, you know, the very reason that you really look back fondly on Lost is the very reason that I haven't gone back and watched it because I know that's just not there. Mm-hmm. And and that the show is, is very different binging it now. Like, like, like you said, it's just not the same experience, even, you know, in the same, it, as a, compared with, you know, going back and watching Parks and Rec or going back and watching other things that you can still have kind of a similar experience going through them um even if you're going through them at a later date yeah and and this like cultural conversation that arises around things i think could be a really fascinating part of our relationship with media uh and what Mm -hmm. we're consuming and and like we we've said like sometimes it can lead to like this feeling of pressure that oh i I better i better watch this thing or read this book because everyone's talking Mm -hmm. about it um but other times i think it just can be like you said with the flash like it it just becomes a fun thing (laughs) to be able to participate with it i I think there's uh you know both both sides of that can can be a reality Mm -hmm. um you know with, with these kinds of texts um all right uh another topic that we um wanted to touch on was comfort food versus uncomfort food because when we talk <laughs> about aspirational media i think this is true that there's stuff that we want to get to because we we've heard it so good and everyone mm-hmm. loves it and we want to have that feeling but also it can be kind of like the vegetables on the plate like i talked about with the aspirational <laughs> like oh this is yeah. good for you to uh re- you know watch this show that has a really uncomfortable subject matter that isn't going to leave you feeling great or to read this historical um you know, uh, biography about someone who's really interesting, but also, it, you know, the historical biographies mm-hmm. can be a bit dry at times, you know? Yeah. And, and so uh, is it comfort food that we want to turn to, or is it that kind of uncomfort food that maybe is going to, um, you know, it, it, uh, make us aware of something that maybe is uncomfortable about ourself or our, like maybe we lacked awareness about a, a, how pervasive prejudice was within ourselves or our culture mm-hmm. or something like that. And that, doesn't always feel great to, to, to mm-hmm. see it uh, confronted in media. Yeah, yeah, it's um, and and also so I'll so in terms of comfort food and, and uncomfort food, we are living in a golden. First of all, we're living in a golden age of television, and we're living in a golden age of dark and gritty television. Mm-hmm. But my personal recommended daily allowance of dark, gritty media is pretty low. <laughs> Um, there are a few things that I've seen that I liked, you know, it's not zero, but I, you know, when I turn to media, I turn to things that are hopeful and you can go through, you know, you can go through some really like, like one of my, um, you can go through a, a really significant slog, you know, like Lame is Rob we've been talking about is actually a really great example because like everyone's poor and everyone dies, you know, but it has this sort of like this, this um, uplifting message at the end. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay with going through this like slog in the middle, but something like Breaking Bad was never going to be something that I was going to watch. You know, I just, mm-hmm. and, and at least with something like that, I knew that like, yeah, that's not for me, you know? And I, and I completely believe that it's well done. And I completely believe, you know, like Dexter is another great example. Game of Thrones, I was never going to watch. Um, you know, and I absolutely believe that it's well done and that there are people who really appreciate it. But I also really know, like, I I know what I need. And, you know, the 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 tiny the tiny bit of, of dark and gritty media that I need, there's a long, long line and there are other things that are at the top of the list versus the sort of you know, the stuff that the stuff that's more hopeful or the stuff that's more um 
I don't know what the opposite of dark and gritty is, light and creamy. Um, <laughs> um, or, you know, or for me also rewatching things, even if something mm-hmm. does have kind of um, a difficult message, if I've, if I've at least seen it before, so I know where it's going, you know, that can be, make it a lot more palatable. Um, but then that just means that I have, you know, the things that, that, that sort of 96% of my diet, there's a lot, the, that cue is very different than the sort of 4% dark and gritty part of my diet. I thought I... you were going to say that this is a golden age of like serial killer documentaries, which is oh my gosh. not a it's genre I'm going to be consuming yes. too much of. Yeah, um. so, no, no. I, yeah. I really responded to like the things you were talking about where it's like, yeah, these things are like good and like people are engaging and like, like the qualities there. There is no way, like I can't imagine a time in my life where I will be in a good position to rewatch Broadchurch. Yes. <laughs> I I watched it and it's amazing. Like uh-huh. like the filmmaking is really really solid. Like just, just for any listening who don't know, it's a BBC uh murder mystery, but the, the death of a child is at the core of it. Right. Well, and and like that's not the only thing, but it's like man, by the end of it everything just sucks. <laughs> For everybody, like everybody's life is worse. Uh-huh. Nobody's life is better at the end of the series than at the beginning. <laughs> like one for one, every person in this town is worse off because this happened. Like, and yeah. and like it's not even satisfying by the end of it. It's like that's, that's like the exact opposite of what I can consume. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm like, like even if I'm like years and years removed from from having a child you know, uh-huh. a, a young child or anything like that. Uh-huh. If I'm not a young parent or anything right. like that, I'm like, I just don't think <laughs> that there's like as, as enjoyable as it is to watch beautiful filmmaking mm-hmm. and wonderful acting in intense sequences and, and heart wrenching scenarios. I'm like, this is not going to make me happy. This is yeah. not going to bring me satisfaction yeah. at all. Even though I'm like, this is really good guys. I don't want any of it. I just, like I can't. The writing is top notch. The directing is just building that intensity that like the story is trying to make you feel that intensity. And they do. Yeah. It's compelling and everything. And I just like, I just can't. (laughs) So, so someone once proposed the idea of watching breaking bad, but watching the episodes in reverse order so that the drug kingpin can turn into the nice chemistry teacher. (laughs) That probably wouldn't. That probably wouldn't work with something like Broadchurch. But that is still, you know, if especially for a show that's like a descent into darkness, you could always ascend into light if you approach it differently. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been going for a little bit, and we do have a few more listener comments that I want to make sure uh, we hit on. But before we do that, is there anything else that you want to make sure we touched on in talking about aspirational media? Um, we didn't. So, so. I think we just barely talked about barriers, you know, if, um, if there are entire genres we don't consume, if something's not available on a streaming service, some shows and films are just not widely available, or they're not widely available in translation, if it's not a language that you speak, um, you know, or, or even, you know, I realize I like to do things while I'm watching a TV show or film, but that means I can't watch TV shows or films with subtitles because then I have to actually like sit there and read the whole time instead of like, you know, looking at most of the time. So those are some kind of things that we talked mm-hmm. about. Um, I've, I've heard those referred to as laundry shows. I think that's yes. the, the, the terminology now. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
Well, and I mean, at this point, for a lot of shows, and I think this is one reason why we maybe return to shows that we already know, like mm-hmm. it's, you want something on in the background while you're doing another task and you want yeah. to be able to split attention. And if it's a show that's demanding your attention because of plot or because, like you said, of subtitles, that's mm-hmm. just a different experience. So, you know, my wife and I, we very often are doing other things while we're watching a show together. Yeah. Um, you know, we're both have our laptops out, we're grading, you know, whatever it may be. Uh, but we recently watched Lupin, this Netflix uh, show. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is from France and it has subtitles and it was like, oh, screen free time. <laughs> like we're yes. setting, <laughs> wait, we're setting aside our other screens so we can watch yeah. the big screen <laughs> right yes. now. Um, and yeah. it, it's just a different experience that um, just like logistically, I don't think we could do that every single week. <laughs> what we're going to do. So, you know, when we're watching something, it's only going to be this because we're, we're trying to multitask. Uh, just life is busy. Young kids yeah. work. You know, there's, there's so many things that press on for time and we do want, that relaxation of media but sometimes it needs to be the media that we can you know be three quarters of our attention is there Mm -hmm. or half of our attention is there yeah I took up I took up um knitting as a hobby in grad school I learned when I was really young but I kind of put it away and then moving to the frigid midwest made it uh more immediate need to to knit myself some scarves and hats um but um you might not know this having lived in in michigan joe but it can be cold in the midwest (laughs) um but i so i i like and for some reason like sometimes just watching a tv or a film can feel a little boring or or it can feel like unproductive and then just knitting is a little bit boring but if i knit while i watch a tv show somehow that is like magically productive and interesting um but I have I, I realized I kind of fool myself how much I'm watching it and how much I'm listening it because I can't watch something that has subtitles, even if it's, you know, a pretty simple knitting project. I am looking down often enough that I'm missing things. Um, so, yeah, even, you know, even if I'm not even if I'm watching it most of the time or a lot of the time, um, if it's, you know, sometimes it's still sometimes it's still um, not quite enough to catch everything that's going on. Well, Kirsta, as we have discovered, I might recommend Lupin to you because you can I... knit while, <laughs> while that's listening. Right. Watching that's right. in French. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, I, and uh, on this topic, uh, one of our listeners, Tommy, he said, uh, I'm just going to read his comment that he put on our Facebook page. Probably my greatest guilty omission is comic books of any kind. I don't enjoy the style. Though I like hearing about the stories, art, nuances of storytelling, I just don't like to read them for myself. I have no issues with the form. I just struggle to enjoy them myself. I'd love to, but I can't get into them. And manga is even worse. Um, and I think that's something like for a lot of us, like there's just a, be it a genre or a medium that we just, we just never connected to. Um, like mm-hmm. I know we've danced around on the protagonist podcast of doing like a discussion of a particular video game protagonist for a long time, but it, we just yes. have to be able to invest the time on it. And I know there's amazing ones. I've had students turn in papers on video games, but mm-hmm. you know, I happen to have the Nintendo switch for my kids and I know Mario and I know Zelda, but that's it. And I know there's these other great games uh, that are out there that I don't have the time or literally the game system <laughs> to engage with. Um, and, and that's just always going to be a barrier for this one form of media. That's really kind of fascinating to me the way storytelling mm-hmm. is so um it has to be so flexible with video games uh and, and i know that there's a whole realm of video games that are doing it on a level that mario's not even attempting to do <laughs> you know uh but i you know it's something that the the there, there's enough format issues that i haven't you know mm-hmm. uh, and time issues that i haven't gotten into it at all yeah, and I, I once heard someone describe, I'm, I'm very much the same way about video games that I have lots and lots of friends who play them. And so I definitely respect it as an art form and probably know more about it than I would if I had no friends who played it, but it's just not something that I do. Um, and I and I heard someone say once that, you know, video games are the 
the only form of narrative media where you have to earn the ending like you don't get halfway through a book and they say like you're not appreciating this book enough you don't get to finish it you know um which is which is a really fun observation but it's also kind of infuriating for me that I would have you know that I would put that much work into it and then not be able to finish and so um and so that's kind of I mean that's not the only thing that's stopping me from getting into video games but that is kind of interesting frustration where I'm just like no I'm not doing this you know this is too much work and I and I you know, respect the work and I respect the people who do the work, but it's just not the medium for me. Yeah. Um, a couple of other comments for, from some listeners that I want to make sure we touched on this one uh, from former guest, Anna uh, Pappard, who came on to talk about Nightcrawler with us. Uh, she says, I've never watched a full episode of Buffy, mostly because of how often I've been told I need to watch it. And or <laughs> I am assumed to be a mega fan of it. When I was first buying weekly comics, I had a comic book store employee snap his fingers at me when I walked into the door and proclaim, you must be here for Buffy, which I cannot imagine how infuriating that would be. Mm-hmm. That's just my aside right there. Uh, she says she knows plenty about the show. She's read academic work about the show but it's become <laughs> so loaded that it's to, to watch it for fun it might not even be an option for her anymore i i and I, I think that's like a, a cousin adjacent form of like me just saying i'm not watching titanic <laughs> like it's just not not gonna happen um hers yeah. were rooted in some you know some assumptions that were made about her as um a fan of some genre stories there was this mm-hmm. assumption about oh well you must you must like buffy well, and and some somehow it somehow it worked out that I have never seen an entire episode of Friends, and like you with Titanic, it has become this weird badge of honor. Where now, like I have occasionally actively avoided watching an episode of Friends because I don't, you know, that's sort of like again, I for for person of my generation, I am um, more interesting for not ever having seen Friends than I would be for having seen. I'm it. there with so. you, and I've written books on ninety sitcoms. <laughs> <laughs> but I agree with you. Where Friends was an omission that I, yeah. I and you know, and now I don't even know it. where it's streaming, okay. so I don't know where I would even watch it. It's not like I'm actively avoiding it. it just you know, yes, it's never been in my rotation. Like I've watched all you of Seinfeld, I've watched all of uh, Frasier, and you know, yes. so, so I'm not like avoiding that genre mm-hmm. of of television at all, or that era of television at all. It's just somehow I missed the Friends boat let's you and I, when you finish your current book, let's you and I write a book together about how we haven't watched friends <laughs> and we can write about every single episode that we haven't watched. And I know and so we'll much about, about yes. friends. Like I know the whole cast. I've read academic work on it. I know every episode <laughs> of the one with, or the one where like, it's the one where something happens that uh-huh. naming convention. So I know this much mm-hmm. about it. I could actually fake some. Yeah. No, <laughs> I this know is Rachel great. and Ross's relationship description. I know the jokes about we were on a break. Like all these things played <laughs> it up into my consciousness. Um, I play. I like playing, um, doing trivia quizzes on Sporkle, and I like doing the pop, the like television media ones. And so they'll have a thing where they'll be like, you know, name the six characters on Friends or something, and you have to like select them out of this huge list or something. So I know, like, like you said, I know a lot of a lot of you know. There's a lot of sort of like list based trivia that I can that I know about some of these shows, even though I've never seen them. Yeah. A uh, few other uh, comments. Uh, uh, Alex says, I keep meaning to watch Firefly. Everyone I know loves it. I've seen the pilot episode three or four times, but I never got to the second episode. And that's one that, like, there's not an intimidation vector of it. It ran for eight years. Yeah. It famously yeah, no. did not. Exactly. <laughs> Um, uh, let's see, uh, former guest, John, our brother, Andrew, there, uh, the manga <laughs> of Os- Osamu Tezuka 
is considered to, uh, like he's someone who has popularized manga and anime after World War II, but it's never been readily available. Uh, and English transitions um, are hard, hard to get, get his hands on. Um, uh, listener Missy says, parenting books. <laughs> they take longer to get through than other books, but I feel like I should be reading more. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really delve it. much into the nonfiction. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the the like good for you nonfiction uh, type of media, which I think all of us probably have some on our mind. Like, oh, I I should be reading that. Um, let's see a few other. This was an interesting one from uh, Scott Corelli from uh, Dueling Genre. He says that first round of prestige TV, The Wire, Sopranos, The Shield. Um, and he says... Um, they were groundbreaking for the time, but I've seen things like Breaking Bad or Mad Men or Watchmen uh, that comes after, and it feels like it's the evolution of those things. And so now to go back to those original Golden Age mm-hmm. shows, it wouldn't mm-hmm. hit the same way as it did in that moment. It's kind of what Andrew was saying about the Watchmen comic book. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I think that's a really interesting insight into some of these, like maybe why we don't. And another one, uh, Gary says... Um, what if I'm the guy who doesn't like this thing or isn't impressed by this? And that kind of freaks me out a little. <laughs> like if everyone else loves it and I don't, what's what's wrong with me? And I think that also when so many things are like recommended by friends, uh-huh. you know, they're going to follow up and you don't want to let them down yes. by saying, eh, it wasn't for me. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't the great yeah. one. And that's its, you know, not liking things that everyone likes or not liking things that you're supposed to like. I mean, that's its own, that's its own kind of interesting situation. Um, or the pressure or, you know, if, if you have kind of a contrarian personality anyway, um, like a, like, I I have an aunt who was working at a bookstore at the time that the Harry Potter books were coming out and she was just like very, very sick of them because, you know, <laughs> there was just a whole different level. And at one point she said, and she's someone who's kind of, you know, doesn't like to do to go with the crowd at one point she said like well i'm gonna read them when they're not popular anymore and like okay well like 20 years and counting you know certainly the peak popularity is over but you could be waiting kind of a long time before you know before nobody's talking about harry potter at all and they're still doing movies and everything so um so yeah that's its own interesting kind of thing you know sometimes we just want to discover media on our own time and in our own way and not with this you know weird social pressure to live up to yeah. Um, and just the other thing that I wanted to note from the listener comments is um, several people mentioned like a, a book like Dune as like they know it's foundational for mm-hmm. certain kind of science fiction. And, and it's one that, you know, like Star Wars is borrowing some from Dune and, and you know, anything with a giant worm is borrowing <laughs> from Dune. Uh, and, and, but it can be kind of a hard one to get into. I haven't read it in 25 years. Like I did read it back when I was in my early sci-fi uh, phase that I've never really left, but I've never gone back to, to reread it. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be one of those where it's like, I, I know this one's big, but there's so much more. And I think part of it might be something that Scott Carly pointed to. Like, you know, everyone has like built off of it for decades at this point. So mm-hmm. is it going to be a bit of a letdown to go and read that earlier version? Yeah. Well, uh, I think that is most of the topics we wanted to cover in discussing aspirational media. Andrew or Kirsten, do you have anything that you want to say at the end of this episode? Um, it's okay to watch things that reference other things, and it's okay to not watch things that reference other things. <laughs> and it's okay to watch things even if you haven't seen the things they're referencing. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and also, uh, like... I, I feel like there's this weird push and pull that I feel within myself where I feel very strongly, you can like what you like. And if you don't like what everyone else is mm-hmm. talking about, that is just fine. But also yeah. I feel the push and pull of like, go out of your comfort zone and you might find something that becomes really special to you. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and so, um, you know, both of those 
seemingly contradictory ideas are true, right? You know, you, you like whatever you like, and it's fine to go revisit those things you that bring you comfort and that, mm-hmm. that you have a nostalgia for or that that you just know you're going to love this, you know, sitcom that you've already seen the entire thing three times, but you want to go back for a fourth time. That's fine. Do that without guilt. Uh, but also, you know, be willing to look around and see if you want to sample something. Uh, and if it doesn't yeah. grab you, like the pilot of Firefly isn't grabbing Alex, that's fine to just say, you know what? It might not be for me. Yeah. And it is really lovely, you know, it's so easy to say, you know, you know, it's it's easy to know what you like and know what you don't like, but it is really lovely to, to occasionally venture out into, you know, into something that you weren't sure how it would hit you. And then it, and then it, you just completely, you know, it's, it's just a really wonderful revelation. And it's um, sometimes, you know, sometimes I get a little, I'll get a little depressed when, when the franchise movies that I wanted to be really good are not as good as I wanted them to be. And it's sort of like, well, why isn't anything good? Um, and I have to remind myself that there will be other things that are standalone or other things that are outside of, you know, what's currently in my field of vision that I'm going to like, that I'm going to discover, even if this, you know, one particular thing has kind of let me down. Maybe there's something wonderful there that I can discover. And, you know, maybe it'll be aspirational, something I've been meaning to get to for ages and maybe it won't be. And, you know, that's fine. Well, I think that is going to wrap up this episode, but if you would like to carry on this discussion and let us know what some of your aspirational texts are and also why you haven't gotten around to them, you can certainly do that. Uh, you could do that on our Facebook fan page at facebook.com slash protagonist podcast, or you can do that on the Dueling Genre uh, Discord where there's a sub-channel for the protagonist podcast and you can jump in and uh, rejoin the conversation about aspirational media there. Uh, for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to the DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice. Please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Coffey who composed our theme music. And uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Bye-bye. A lot of gold there, Andrew, for you to draw from. Sometimes you just need those extended outtake options. Occasionally, it's happened like two or three times where I've actually had to pull an outtake from a different um, raw recording. It was like, there's no outtake in this one. I, 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 I accidentally, like, I deleted all the stuff from the front of it uh-huh. right away and didn't set it aside. I was like, oh, dang it. Did you end up, I haven't listened, but did you end up putting a very long uh, tangent about Smallville as just a super long outtake? No, I I put it in the quick cast. Oh, okay. Yay, quick cast. (laughs) Um, But I I put a tease to it and like a reference to it in the (laughs) outro. So it says like, well, we can put that in the quick cast. (laughs)